Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. In 2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. So, Nate, when you asked me to put together an episode this week about something happening on the charts, I have to admit that I, I kind of struggled. Nothing catching your interest there? Well, you know there's the old cliche of too many things on the radio sound the same? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's every generation uh, has, I think, said that for the last hundred years. I was feeling it really strongly recently. Uh, you're in a, in a pop music ennui. <laughs> you know, a lot of what we do is often finding trends of things that are going on. But when I went for my first listen of just what's happening in the world of popular music, I heard everybody making the exact same rhythmic variation of a dance song. We are having a moment. So here's just a couple of examples. We've got Love by Tory Lanez. This is Treat You Better by Shawn Mendes. This is Capsize by Friendship. No way. This is Don't Wanna Know by Maroon 5. And this is uh, Sex by Chicos. <laughs> Everybody's copying each other. Wait, Charlie, this is blowing my mind. These are all like top 100 songs right now. Yeah, and they basically all have the exact same rhythm. Dun, 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 
dun, dun, dun. Wow, that is fascinating. Sort of a variation on the clave that we talked about in uh, our episode about Drake. Right, right. Yeah, totally a 3-2 clave p- pattern right there. Yeah. So I was feeling down. <laughs> oh. Because, you know, I wanted to find something that was sounding new and different. Right. And I actually had missed the pinnacle of pop music, meaning I had completely glanced over the top song on the charts. Uh-huh. And lo and behold, I found something uh, really pretty special, something different. Wow. At least so I thought. Oh, okay. Whoa, so many twists and turns here. Welcome to Switched On Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. So, Nate, the song at the top of the charts is The Chainsmokers Closer featuring Halsey. That's a lot of words. It's a lot of words. And to be honest, I actually didn't really know a lot about this group other than I kept seeing this name, The Chainsmokers, over and over the last couple of months. Turns out they are a DJ duo from New York City. They only have one EP out. They don't even have an album, but they have, I think, more dance singles on the charts than any other artist has, like beating records by Calvin Harris and other big EDM producers. Really now? Okay. And I think that they have something to teach us. And this song, Closer to Me, is an incredible study in how to make something unique, how to make a lasting hit. Okay, yeah, let's let's break this thing open. And yeah, there's a little bit of a twist in here. <laughs> <laughs> but let's start off before we get to the twist. Okay. <laughs> I think what we just need to do is to listen to the song and describe what we're hearing. And then we're going to investigate. Very good. Step one, you always return to the scene of the crime. All right. What are we hearing? Okay, I'm hearing this kind of spacey piano. Yep. I'm hearing these kind of sounds filtering in and out, crescendoing. Yep. Uh, getting getting louder and then fading out. Kind of this sounds like the primordial ooze before something big <laughs> is about to happen. Yeah, there's a uh, underneath all of it. There's this little synth line that is really super memorable it is very simple it has this almost nursery rhyme like quality to it right the one that goes do exactly yeah yeah it is kind of like a nursery rhyme i like that and then all of a sudden All right, so what happened? Whoa, radical textural change. Yes. All the washiness and ooziness of that intro is suddenly tightened into this like high-pressure space full of tightness and silence. Yes, we have entered the verse, and we obviously get a vocal. It is a dry vocal, no reverb, no effects, very present and in our face. Crispy. Crispy. <laughs> As a fall day. Speaking of crispy, some snaps and claps in the background. Yeah, totally, right. Providing some rhythmic oomph. <laughs> and a synth chord thing going on. Right. Kind of a what I would describe as a wonk wonk sound. Okay. 
It's a little wonky. Not a, not a technical term, but effective. Yeah, let's keep going. What section do you think we're in? I know it breaks your heart. Moved to the city in a broke down car and four years no calls. Now you're looking pretty in a hotel bar and I, I, I can't stop. I guess we're in the, the pre-chorus now, kind of. Exa yeah, exactly. Because it sounds similar to the verse, but it's kind of grown in intensity. We've got a bass and a snare. The vocal is getting a little more impassioned. Sounds like we're building up to a chorus. We're also getting the sort of main subject of the song. Ah, right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. This is the pre-chorus. We are building in intensity. One of the other things that's going on is that synth line that we heard in the intro is starting to build this crescendo that's going to launch us into the chorus. Yeah, yeah, totally. And we're also finally getting a sense of what is this song about? Yeah, yeah, right. It's getting, it gets very specific. I like that about this song. It's very specific references here. I know it breaks your heart, move to the city in a broke down car, in four years, no calls, now you're looking pretty in a hotel bar. So basically we have uh, an ex-couple meeting up again four years later. Yeah. Where's it gonna go? I don't know, but I'm, I'm dying to find out. So baby, pull me so if we just heard the pre-chorus, this must be the... The chorus! Kinda. Except, is it? Ah, it's odd. It's like, it kind of goes back to the, the texture of that primordial opening, because that piano comes back. Yep. It's kind of big and, and washy again. That nursery rhyme synth line becomes very present. Becomes the melody, in fact. Exactly. The singers take that line and make it their melody. Right, but it doesn't sound like a chorus. It sounds like another pre-chorus or something. Because we're still building to the next moment, which should aptly be titled the... Pop Drop. The Pop Drop, yes. The Pop Drop. A couple drop. episodes ago, we talked about the Pop Drop, this EDM-inspired section where the chorus is replaced by this instrumental section that we are supposed to dance to. Right. The non-chorus chorus. The non-chorus chorus. It's the big moment of the song. Yeah, it's 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 enlightening. I like it. And that little line that we heard in that primordial intro has come full force and is in our face and is the main hook of the song, accompanied by the line, we ain't ever getting older. So the song continues. Ooh, I just got, <laughs> I just got excited. <laughs> the song does continue. Uh, it becomes a duet. The singer Halsey then enters. Right. And it's great because then we get the other side of the relationship, the other person's perspective. Totally right. We have this, the exact same kind of texture and melody, but now being sung by the mirror image, so to speak. Yes. Okay. At the beginning of the show, I said that this is a study in how to make a hit. Right. I am loving this track because the message of the song runs throughout it completely, from the lyric to the musical compositional structure to every little moment. Do you know what that nugget is? I'm assuming it has something to do with that memorable line from the non-chorus chorus, we ain't ever getting older. It's even simpler than that. It's the title of the song. Oh. <laughs> 
obviously it's like the clues are all right in front of you and you're just, you know, trying too hard to investigate. It's interesting because is the is the word closer actually anywhere in the lyrics of the song? Yes. It's in it, it's in that uh what we titled the kind of chorus. Oh. Right? So baby pull me closer in the backseat of oh, the rover. Oh yeah, yeah. Closer in the backseat of the rover, totally. Okay, but kind of glanced over in the lyrics and yet picked out as the title. So how do you interpret this? Well, we already established the song is about an ex-couple getting back together. Right. The song is about getting closer, bringing the past into the present. Ooh, okay. Right? So when we started with that intro, we heard this sort of fading into presence. Right. And hidden in the background, this little nursery rhyme synth line. Whoa, okay. Which... Then disappears, and we hear the first narrator. And that's that's the present, I guess. Or that's the past, rather. He's... Wait. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, the narrator sort of catching up. He says, hey, I was doing just fine before I met you. Um, you know, I actually, it's hard to know exactly what time frame we're in. Right. Yeah, it's not perfectly linear. It's, it's more kind of imagistic. He's saying... Hey, you tell your friends it was nice to meet them, but I hope I never see them again. I don't know where we are in the state of the relationship, but I know that we are in a a place of reflection. And in the transition from the verse to the pre-chorus, that synth line starts to come back in. Right, Bringing that past into the present. That's the past intruding into the present. Exactly. Cool. And in the pre-chorus, it gets louder and builds. It, It gets taken over by what might be a guitar line. And finally, when we get to the chorus, the, that melody has become the vocal melody. The nursery rhyme has become fully present in that dry, uh, just uh, super in-your-face vocal. Word. So the past has fully kind of exploded into the present at that point. And you suggested, well, maybe this song has something to do with that lyric in the pop drop, we ain't ever getting older. Well, at that moment in the pop drop the this main melody the closer melody the nursery rhyme past being brought into the present that is the hook of the song and what's happening here the singers are reflecting on we ain't ever getting older they are in the present whoa yeah they reject any future state they're never getting older right and that's like both kind of uh, a sort of sad sentiment to me and also sort of an empowering one. Maybe something about like recognizing that you need to stay in the sort of what can feel like the miasma of youth sometimes. Well, and but this song makes many allusions to nostalgic relationships, right? right. In the duet, the female narrator says, stay and play that Blink-182 song that we beat to death in Tucson. Right. Uh, so there's all these allusions to their past relationship. Very nice lyric right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lots of shout outs yeah. to uh, yeah. cities in the Southwest in this song from, from Boulder to Tucson. <laughs> this is a really a, a mountain time anthem right here. Yeah. I think, I think that those allusions to places are, are, are further connections to geographic past. And what I love about this song is how they're always pulling you closer into the present. Uh, I think the best moment that this happens is in the pop drop. In the chorus, we're basically getting the description of a couple making out in the backseat of their car. Right. uh, Moving to a mattress. Scandalous. And you mean you mean in the chorus, which turns out to be a pre-chorus. The the pseudo-chorus. The pseudo-chorus. There we go. The thing before the pop drop. 
they say that they're going to be moving to a mattress, which is very scandalous. Right. And I think that this closer synth line, that nursery rhyme synth line that we're hearing, stands in for what happens next. Whoa. Uh, <clears throat> it just got a little hot under this blanket. The climax of the song, the pop drop, is where they stop sharing, they stop singing what's going on in that present moment. It kind of feels like when you're watching a PG-13 film, when the sheets are pulled over, the camera pans away, and the music begins to play. Whoa, right. And then there's, <laughs> like, uh, fireworks going on <laughs> yeah, outside right, 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 right. or something. Oh, okay. Wow, this did. there are some twists here, Charlie. I did not see that coming. Yeah, as you can tell, this melody, this single creative nugget has been used throughout the entire song, hinted at in the intro the verse, the pre-chorus, the chorus, and finally lands in the pop drop where it becomes the central narrative of the song. The music replaces the lyric. It's really, I think, quite brilliant. Yeah, the music replaces the lyric. Okay, so what was that nostalgic nursery rhyme becomes this, like, anthem of, uh, of like, co- coital bliss or something. <laughs> in the, Which is, I mean, I guess... Yeah, it's, it's, it's summoning sense. the past love of the relationship into the present. I mean, it's, it's really extraordinary. And um, and as I was saying, you know, I had been listening to the charts and I was thinking, wow, this song really is different and people are loving it. It's the top song. It doesn't sound quite like anything else. And then, well, Uh-oh. you know <laughs> that misattributed Picasso quote that good artists borrow and great artists steal. Indeed. I think here we might have a case of very crafty good borrowing or maybe even great stealing. Either way, a sure sign of greatness. (laughs) And we will explore that right after the break. Tension. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Calling all female runners, it's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Well, 
Welcome back to Switched on Pop. In the first half of the episode, we discussed the chain smokers closer. And while I do hear it as something completely original and really interesting, I hinted that maybe, well, actually, it could be borrowing from a lot of other work that has come before it. As all great right. art does. Yeah, so I made this allusion to the Picasso quote, this misattributed Picasso quote, which I actually, as I was researching, was not aware that this is misattributed, right? Supposedly, according to, I think it was propagated by Steve Jobs, Picasso said that good artists borrow and great artists steal. I think I've also heard that attributed to Stravinsky. Also to Stravinsky, correct, and also to T.S. Eliot. <laughs> I, supposedly, Picasso never said it, which I think is this like meta commentary on the <laughs> quote itself because it transformed and moved and yeah. actually the words of it changed. That's pretty hilarious. In any case, the Chainsmokers closer to me is almost like a meta pop song um, where you can start to hear the influences of how it was created. All you have to do is either run down the pop charts of what's happening right now or go back to the last two years of musical investigations that we've been doing together. Right, right. So check this out. There are five things that I immediately heard that I think this song is borrowing from. Okay, number one. Thing of the first. The single motif uh, relationship song. Uh, I think we could go back to our episode number 10 on Taylor Swift's Blank Space and how the motif of Blank Space permeates every little bit right? from the drums to the song structure to the bass line to the lyrics. Right. That that whole song is constantly expressing in every cell, so to speak, of its being this idea of blank space. And of course, writing a song off of a single motif is not a uh, completely original thing. Many have done it, but there's a, a recent uh, song in the past that does this very well. Other songs on the charts are also talking about um, reunited lovers. Uh, we have the Charlie Puth duet with Selena Gomez, we don't talk anymore. Have you heard this? No, I haven't heard this one. Check it out. We don't talk anymore. We don't talk anymore. We don't talk anymore like we used to do. Which, funnily enough, actually uses some of that same rhythm that we heard at the beginning of the show. Also has a pop drop moment. Oh, yeah, there it is. Wow, yeah, you could like create a whole subgenre, uh, something like elegiac electronic duets <laughs> or something. Elegiac electronic duets of estranged lovers. You know, as we've seen with Drake and Adele, fall is the season for the kind of nostalgic pop song. Yeah, you're totally right. It's funny. I, th- I think like we've moved from song of the summer to a uh, breakup song of the fall. Right. Yeah. It's uh, that autumnal jam. The leaves are falling. Yeah. Kind of looking back on everything. <laughs> Feeling nostalgic. Okay, so yeah, indeed. thing of the first single motif about a reunited relationship. Right, check. Number two, getting into the detail of the song, the intro, right? We listen to that, that spacey, ethereal, funny thing going on in the beginning, right? Yeah. We establish that there is this piano line and this synthy buildy stuff. Indeed. Does that sound familiar from our past? Maybe episode number 21 about Justin Bieber's existential dread and his piece with Skrillex and Diplo called Where Are You Now? 
Oh, totally. Yeah, that piano is a dead giveaway. Check it. Has that same sort of meandering, non-resolving piano line. Yeah, synth totally. building. And yeah, that, that piano just immediately takes you to that kind of lacrimose place somehow. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. And on top of it, we have we described this sort of production where it sounds like it's almost in the background, um, something coming into the foreground. And that really reminded me of the episode that we did on Drake, number 40, uh, in which his producer describes how he intentionally creates these underwater sounding effects so that the voice sits on top of the music production. Yeah. Yeah. Running through the six with my walls. So the Chainsmokers intro is a sort of combination of Justin Bieber plus Drake. I can totally see that. Moving along, yes. thing of the third, going into the verse. Uh, here you established that there were sort of these strange synthy chords I was doing just fine before I met you I drink too much and that's an issue but I'm okay and uh, we can hear that in another track that was released about just a couple months before the Chainsmokers called Caroline by Anime you just made that up but I'll allow you to play it <laughs> No, it's for sure real. This is the the wonk 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 sound. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got me? Yeah, there it is. Wonk wonk. <laughs> totally. And of course, other this is not a you know, other people have made this sound before, but it's also on the charts at another position in another song. The other part that we heard in the verse were the snaps and claps. And of course, you know, again, many people using snaps and claps, but I really love Moe's song, Final Song, uh, which does something very similar. So we got the snaps and claps from Bo. We got we the got snaps. That. Like West Side Story on the pop <laughs> charts right now. So much snapping. Okay, that's thing of the third in the verse. The fourth, we talked about this quite a bit, the pop drop, right? This idea that we came up with in our 43rd episode, this replacing of the chorus with this synth line and distorted uh, vocals in the background. Mm, right. And I think that we, you know, we had at least two really great examples of this. Uh, DJ Snake's Turn Down for What was the first that we could find uh, anywhere in the charts. And of course, we spent the entire episode talking uh, in great detail about Mike Posner's I Took a Pill on Ibiza. Mm. So, all right, they've got the blank space motif. They've got a Justin Bieber Drake intro. They have a verse mixing these uh, production techniques of two other songs in the charts. It's a pop drop, which is just like the hottest thing happening right now. <laughs> and the last thing, actually, we didn't get to listening earlier on is the bridge of the song. Ooh, okay, let's go there. Okay. So here's the bridge of the Chainsmokers, right? So this is basically, um, you know, typically in a bridge we expect to hear what? Some kind of new musical material, right? Right, and maybe like a lyrical contrast. Right. So the bridge comes right after the second pop drop. Mm. So 
So what's that? Whoa. Big Bill. Big Bill. And... It's, I think it's a bridge. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I I can hear why you say that, but I mean, it has to be acknowledged that this is the same as the the non-chorus chorus or the pre-second pre-chorus. Chorus. Ooh, we got to come up with some more terminology here. I'm tripping over my words. <laughs> I know. It's, it's tough. The, the pre-pop drop. How about that? The pre-pop drop, which we've called the chorus, is that same stuff that we're hearing here, but within a new context, which is kind of muted, right? Uh, it is quiet, and then slowly build. And so in some ways, I think is serving as uh, a bridge, which typically provides some sort of contrast to get you back into a final chorus for that last hurrah. I'm persuadable on this account. Okay, well, uh, you should be, because uh, about a year ago on episode 20, we talked about The weekend's I Can't Feel My Face, produced by Max Martin, who is uh, pretty famous for dropping the bridge and replacing it with a pre-chorus. Huh. Remember this? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I do. Yeah, there it is. And build back to the climax. Okay, so the chain smoker's closer. And I, I see you're illustrating this uh, this misattributed Picasso quote in another way because we are literally stealing from our old shows uh, <laughs> right now in the course of this episode because we are great artists, obviously. Clearly. Okay, so I'm 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 pretty convinced by your your argument here, Charlie. Five ways in which this track can be seen to be sort of cobbled together from different influences of the pop landscape of the moment. Uh, is that, is that, do you think that is, is distinct? Is that, is there something special about this brew here? Well, it is the number one song. It definitely sounds strange and different, right? Even that contrast that you described at the beginning from this, it was a spacey piano line to this very in-your-face wonky synth and present uh, voice, right? Th- there's the actual sounds of it are constructed from all of these other pieces yeah, in a way which that's... creates something that I have never quite heard. Interesting, kind of like a, a Frankenstein monster of pop success. A beautiful Frankenstein monster. Yeah, I mean, I find Frankenstein to be very attractive, and uh, my, the the copious slash fiction that I write about him and Dracula should be. <laughs> sufficient evidence to that fact. So yeah, beautiful Frankenstein. There's a problem though. Oh man, you are just impossible today. Okay, what's the problem? Well, once you've figured out this formula, right? Even if you're the one that figured it out, do you think it's okay to repeat it? Uh, do I think it's okay? Me personally? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's perfectly okay, but uh, I'm as an inveterate borrower, I uh, I, I fully support it. I think it's totally okay to borrow from yourself, um, especially pieces of what you're doing. But when you wholesale copy the formula and redo it, uh, I don't know. And that's exactly what the Chainsmokers did with their next hit called All We Know. Okay, take me there. This song has basically the exact same structure as Closer. Okay. Ready? Check this out. Yeah. Intro. Intro. Nostalgic buildy stuff. Indeed. Verse. Okay. Yeah. 
duets. Okay, indeed. Just a few seconds later, at about the exact same timestamp as closer, we get the pre-chorus. We fall in the past and we hold together. We pass the ends and we chase forever. There it is. And then right after the pre-chorus, we get that like kind of chorus. And that chorus has, like, kind of the exact same nursery rhyme-like quality right. of the chorus of Closer. Yeah. But, but Charlie, that, I mean, this chorus references Midwestern cities, so, um. I mean, it's very different. <laughs> okay, if we're talking about variation, then let's just grab the next moment, the pop drop. Yeah. You get that pop drop with a synth line and some nostalgic, cute, twee single line this is how we know. Kind of similar to We Ain't Ever Getting Older. No doubt. I, I, I totally see your, your analogy. These songs really closely parallel each other. But I might poke back a little bit because I think our perception of that could be colored by the nature of this music, which is, you know, on, on the face of it, very, very dancey and very... Uh, kind of cookie cutter a little bit yeah uh you know we don't object to someone who we perceive as an artist like lady gaga reusing the same kind of techniques over and over again no of course not i mean song structures are uh, mostly repeated right verse chorus verse chorus bridge verse chorus but if you map this thing out by timestamp, each section is about the exact same length interesting so like, the intro is 10 seconds, the verse is about 20 seconds, the pre-chorus is another 20 seconds, the chorus is about 30 seconds, and then the pop drop lasts for about another 25 seconds. And the whole song is basically the same, moment by moment, and borrowing the nursery rhyme thing, the duet quality. It kind of feels like someone said, like, huh. you had a really awesome hit song. Can you do that one again? Right. It's like formula in the truest sense of the word. 25 seconds of A plus 25 seconds of B plus 30 <laughs> yeah. seconds of C equals hits on. Mixing the duet and a funny little synth line. Yeah. And listen, I like this other song. It's definitely good, but it doesn't have that single motif that weaves through it. It doesn't have that synth line, which both moves and turns into the narrative uh, and, and also represents the entire um, structure of the of, of the piece. So for right, me, it's right. not quite as fruitful. Very interesting, Charlie. Nice sleuthing here. <laughs> well, and, and listen, I think it's totally cool to borrow. It's totally cool to uh, even you know, take things from yourself, right? Their first song, Roses, does a lot of this exact same stuff. It has that intro verse, pre-chorus, chorus, pop drop uh, structure just the same as All We Know, just the same as Closer. And it's a great song. I agree. And I can see from an artist's perspective, if you find something that works, you know, just do it again and again until people stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they're not the first to do it, right? No. Uh, and, and in fact, part of the reason I think I'm uh, I'm not quick to censure these young men in the chain smokers for finding something that works and sticking with it uh, is that I think in, in a lot of ways, this whole bric-a-brac uh, aesthetic of the 21st century pop scene is very reminiscent of uh, another musical culture. What's that? Uh, that's, uh, that's much older and much different, but I think you, that you can draw a lot of parallels. 
What if we go back in our time machine, get a little classical masters here, <laughs> to 18th century Italy? We're going to talk about opera seria. Let's do it. So what have you found? So in the scene of 1700s opera in Italy, <laughs> the idea of authorship and originality uh, was very murky, just as it is kind of today on the pop charts. And, you know, who pioneered what and who uses what and who gets to profit off it is also kind of very, uh, very murky today, too. You think there were obnoxious songwriters and musicologists blaming other people from taking from other people? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was all sorts of legal battles over different composers saying, no, you can't use that aria. Get out of here. I wrote that for this piece and uh, and I'm it's playing in London. So, no, you can't use that for, you know, this this opera you're doing in Hamburg. <laughs> I mean, music was very... I had no idea. Yeah, the opera tradition, like pop music today, was was highly uh, transportable and transposable. I mean, there was this whole phenomenon called the aria di baula. I think I'm probably saying that wrong, but it means the suitcase aria. Yeah. And basically, singers, like virtuosic singers, would travel <laughs> around Europe, and they would show up, uh, they'd get hired to be in an opera, and they would say, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to be doing my aria. Yeah, they're going to take, you know, this uh, This is a great opera and all, but like, this is my specialty and I'm going to do it. And they would just do a random aria from out of their suitcase in the middle of some other opera entirely. It's like they're traveling salesmen of the operatic past. Right, exactly. <laughs> so there's like some narrative going on and then they just break it with a random like cover song in the middle. And that just speaks to, again, you know, how uh, how sort of pliable these forms were and how the idea of like borrowing and stealing was very mixed up. Um, but in terms of this chain smokers yeah. example of kind of the self-borrowing, there's one composer in particular who I think is a great example of how normal this was as a practice in the 1700s. Uh, There's so many greats. Who's your favorite? And that would be Antonio Vivaldi. So let's take a very famous, maybe the most famous Vivaldi piece. Honestly, maybe one of the most famous pieces of quote-unquote classical music ever. Yeah. This is uh, one of Vivaldi's Four Seasons Violin Concertos. This is the first one, Spring, La Primavera. Yes, of course. That's like if a classical radio station is doing their pledge drive, that's what's playing <laughs> in the background. Right. And as, as this is a popular composition now, this was a very popular composition when Vivaldi debuted it back in, uh, uh, well, he wrote it in, in 1723 <sighs> and p- published a few, few years later, hugely popular. Yeah. And Vivaldi, like the chain smokers, yeah. realized he had something good here, right? <laughs> yeah. He had a good formula. Yeah. So when he writes an opera in 1725, called Justino, what do we hear in the opening to the opera's first aria? (laughs) Get out of here. Yep. 
That's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, you'll su- you'll notice it's it's slightly different, but I mean, basically, this is exactly the same, right? <laughs> so clearly, Vivaldi had no compunction about reusing his own material in a completely different work. Yeah, he's like doing best of Vivaldi in his next piece. Right, but then he has the bravado to do it again. No way. <laughs> because fast forward another year, and we've got his opera Doria in Tempe. And this this takes it to the next level because first he does it instrumentally and then Now they're singing it. It's almost it's almost like the uh, the Chainsmokers taking their little uh, funny uh, nursery rhyme synthesizer and then turning it into the vocal. Yes, and I might th- I might be pushing it a little bit at this point, but I think we might even hear this uh, this musical motive popping up in one other Vivaldi opera yeah. called Orlando Furioso. I leave it to you to decide. <laughs> He's clearly hinting at it. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. Thank you. That's very validating. So yeah, and I think it's instructive to go back to these so-called classical masters, uh, who we think of as being you know so invested in uh, the originality and genius of everything they touch. Right. But really, they have something in common with pop masters of the present, which is. When they find something that really works, they'll use it again and again and again until people say, okay, enough. (laughs) You know, I have to say, uh, I feel like I was being maybe a little too snarky about the Chainsmokers and uh, your erudite uh, connection to Vivaldi has made me reconsider. That's what we're here for, Charlie. I think we should record an an emotional duet now about the experience. (laughs) Stealing works. If it's good enough for fake Pablo Picasso and it's good enough for uh, T.S. Eliot and Igor Stravinsky, it's good enough for me. And, you know, thank you because you put this song in a, in a whole new light for me. This is one where I was like, this is the number one song in, in the nation. Like, I don't get it, but I, I think I understand it now. I, I appreciate you walking me through that. Yeah, and, you know, the thing about so much pop music is it's it's always in conversation with the rest of what's happening because right. it's only popular in as much as it is recognizable. It has to both be novel and reminiscent of something that people have heard before. Right. So what I think is so cool about this track is that it does that. It borrows from all these other things. It borrows from the artist's own song structures and constructs this whole world, this world of closeness. Right on, Chuck. All right, that's all I got. That's, that's, that's all, I, all I need. Uh, we should do some credits. Let's sign off, baby. This episode of Switched on Pop was produced by me, Charlie Harding. And edited by me, Nate Sloan. It was mixed and edited by Bill Lance. And our design, as always, is done by the wonderful Luke Harris. Woo. You can check out more episodes of Switched on Pop on our website, switchedonpop.com. You can speak to us on Twitter, at Pop. 
Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, we would really love it if you would leave us a review. Yeah. Switch on Pop is a proud member of the Panoply Network. There are so many good shows. Go check them out and fill out the survey. We are in week three of our Tell a Friend campaign, <laughs> where we ask you to tell a friend about our show. Please, every friend you tell, every enemy you tell, even. Maybe that's <laughs> a new listener. For us, we want to spread the gospel of pop deconstruction all over the globe. And the best way to do that is simply just to tell people, hey, check this out. Yeah. So we really appreciate everyone who's out there doing that. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. And until then, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.